Good morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. We're glad that you're here. This is week number four of a four-part series. It's a little banjo part. It's good. Um, so we're finishing this up. Next week we start a brand new series, and we encourage you to be a part of it. Great time to invite somebody to be with you. So what we're teaching in this is something that Andy Stanley taught us. It just was so much of an impact on me that I was like, oh, my goodness. And I just felt like God was saying, let's insert this into our teaching schedule to kind of interrupt what our plans were last year and just insert this because it was so impactful. So that's what we're doing. And as best we can, we're transmitting this to you as it was taught to us as accurately as possible because it is meaningful. This wraps it up today. So basically we're saying, as you saw in the roll-in, it says, my life, my family. Am I taking responsibility for real? I mean, we have this, uh, this thing about us where we look at other people's lives around us and we can notice their irresponsibility, and it drives us crazy because we see irresponsibility all around us. But here's the problem. When we look into the mirror, we cannot see our own irresponsibility. We just can't see it in ourselves. So we discovered some things over the past few weeks about responsibility and irresponsibility. Let me kind of catch you up in case today you're here with us and you have missed some of those others. Here's basically where we have been, so you'll understand what we're talking about. We taught you that you were created to carry a load of responsibility. God designed you and sent you out to carry responsibility and to manage it well. We also talked about how you are happiest in your life when you are managing your responsibilities well. And we feel like something is missing in our lives if we are not managing our responsibilities very well. It creates a conflict inside of us with ourselves. It also creates conflict with people who are around us. And you know what happens if we don't handle our responsibilities well? We live with a load of guilt. Um, and some of us, when we hear that, we say, yeah, I understand what you're saying. We also talked about how you will never be right in your relationship with yourself as long as you have responsibilities that you are not managing well. Um, and we talked about this. This was the first week, actually. We said this, that your irresponsibility will eventually become someone else's responsibility. And it, your irresponsibility, you not handling responsibility well, your irresponsibility, eventually someone around you in your family or at work or just in life, someone is going to have to come behind you and clean up your mess financially or relationally. They will have to somehow foot the bill for your irresponsibility. If you choose not to carry your load, someone's going to have to come behind you and do that. Then we looked at this invisible principle, this kind of spiritual law that is there, um, the spiritual law, kind of like a physical law. We don't think about physical laws, gravity, stuff like that. It's just there. We live with it being there. We don't recognize it. We don't think about it on a daily basis. I'm glad it's there. I am glad it's there. Actually, sometimes I would like to float. Mm. But <laughs> as long as I was tied to a string, that, I don't want to float away. You don't want to float away. I don't want to float right. away. 
But we don't think about these physical laws, and we also don't think about these spiritual laws on a daily basis, but they are still there, and they are functioning all the time. And here's what we talked about. Everybody, spiritual law, this functions, whether we admit it or not, like it or not, believe it or not, it still functions. Everybody always will harvest what they plant. Always. And they will harvest it later, and they will harvest it greater. No one, no one ultimately gets away with anything in life. Any irresponsibility that they have, they will harvest that later and greater. It always catches up with us, always. Um, today, as we finish up what we're doing today, we're going to visit the, this phrase that permeates culture all over the place. And every person, we have all said this phrase. We've said, we've said, that's not fair. <laughs> Your child probably said that to you last night when you told him to go to bed. That's not fair. To which all adults everywhere across the world, and especially United States, we say when our child says that's not fair, we say what? Life's not fair. Exactly. Y'all are so great. That's exactly what we say. I pop down my sunglasses and say, deal with it. Deal with it. <laughs> But here's the deal. We're only concerned with fairness when our piece of cake is smaller than their piece of cake. That's when we're concerned about fairness. If our piece of cake is bigger than their piece of cake, we're not thinking, oh my goodness, what, are, what is everyone else thinking? There's just so much. Fun. We're thinking, yes, I got the big piece of cake. I used to have to cut the cake and then my brother got to pick the Exactly. Piece That's a wise parenting. Because then you're like... Just so being so fine yes. about yes. How, you know it's just, because you want you don't it want fair. A, right, I you want don't fair. want At less. That point, you know. Yes. Well, if you get a bigger piece of cake, Mom you don't think about the other person. They were great parents. They're great parents. You like your big piece of cake. You don't want a smaller one. Um, when things are going my way, I don't even think about life being fair. I don't even think about it. Or great parents. They are. are. They're, they're not they are. They're, they're not finished I, I being parents. Feel, I, feel like, yeah, I left that wrong there. Good correction. Thank you. Good correction. All right, continue. Okay. Well, I guess in life we want it to be fair. But what we're really saying is this. What Cole just said, you want it to be even when he was having to divide the cake. You, you, it's not really a fairness issue. We want life to be even. We want it to be even. Um, we're really saying we want it to be even. But here's the problem. Even with that, life will never be even. When it's not fair or when it's not even, we have a tendency to use that as an excuse for our irresponsibility. Here's the way that looks. We say, well, you know what? I sure did get the short end of the stick on that. Why? I mean, why should I even try? Why should I try? Because that's how it always ends up. Why should I carry my load? If we feel like that their piece of cake is bigger than ours, why, why should I carry my load? And, and then we say this, if we are the one who gets the extras, who has a little more, who gets more, has more, we say, well, I mean, I, I have extra. I, yay, I can do with that what I want to do with it, right? I have extra to kind of waste. It doesn't matter what I do with it. I can kind of waste it. It's not going to matter because I've, everything is still being taken care of and still done. When we make excuses for ourselves and we say they have more, 
They got more than me. They got more than their fair share. They got even some of my share. We make excuses for why we can live irresponsibly. And as a Christ follower, we can't do that. We just can't do that because we know we'll never be at peace with ourselves if we drop our responsibility. We will never be happy. Here's what Ben Franklin said. He said, He that is good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. You see, making excuses is a trap. It, it will, it's a spiral into unhappiness. But for those who maybe get the larger slice of the pie... Cake. A cake? Oh, my cake. Oh, jumped, I jumped analogies. Yeah, you messed the analogy up. For people who get a larger slice of cake, um, people that make a little bit extra, they have a little bit more, sometimes they have a tendency to use that to be irresponsible. You see, the more of anything we have, it doesn't matter what it is, the more of anything we have, we have a higher tendency to then waste what we have more of. We often begin to get irresponsible with what we have extra of. And we use that as an excuse to be irresponsible. So the real question in all of this is not how do we make life fair or how do we make it even. The real question is what am I going to do with the hand that I've been dealt? What am I going to do with the piece of cake, cake. that I have I been given what am I going to do with the opportunity that God has presented me? And the more that I focus on fair or even, the more I'm going to make an excuse for my irresponsibility just because of what someone else has. And so, Cole, let's jump into the Word and let's kind of see where this goes. Jesus um, you know, kind of talks about what, what, what we're talking about this morning, you know, when the, your, the other person's piece of cake is a little bit bigger. He doesn't literally talk about a piece of cake. I'm not saying he didn't, but not in this specific parable that we're going to talk about this morning, which um, a parable, um, Jesus taught in parables quite often, quite often, which was actually a fulfillment of a prophecy. Um, but he taught in parables quite often. And a parable is, is really a, a story, and it, it's not a true story. Um, it's a story that has an earthly relevance. It, it, it's a story that can be relatable to people living um, today on earth, and, and more so, just it's a story that makes sense to us. Um, it was a story that made sense 2,000 years ago when Jesus taught it, when Jesus talked about it. It's a story that makes sense today. But the parable also has a more spiritual meaning. Um, and uh, something that's important about a parable is when Jesus taught parables, he would always teach about one very specific um, item. It would be, he was very specific when he was using a parable. Um, parables were not, uh, you know, about... Jesus wasn't talking about a plethora of things. He would, very, he would always be very specific about what he was talking about. And this parable that we're going to talk about that comes from the book of Matthew in chapter 25 is a parable that literally Jesus is giving us a glimpse of God's perspective on this idea of unevenness or unfairness. Um, and we get an opportunity to kind of see a description of what the kingdom of heaven is like, what God's perspective is. We kind of get to pull back the curtain a little bit um, and see how God looks at this 
question, this, this subject that kind of hits so close to home for us. Now, you mentioned at 930, I kind of mentioned that again at 930, what you were talking about, because I... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, um, jump in. I've mentioned so many things <laughs> at 930, um, but the yeah, one that's applicable good. is that when I hear Jesus or in the New Testament talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, however they respond to that, I frequently in my mind think about, oh, they're talking about this life that's coming next, this life with Christ in eternity, but that's not the case. As God is describing here the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he's talking about our life with God now right here as we live right, today right. and as they lived then. So, so it's not future, it's so right now. So we're getting a perspective on God's perspective on our life today. Not our life in the afterlife, not our life in the, in the sweet by and by, but today. Um, and, and again, it's, it's being used as a parable. And the parable that we're going to talk about is about the parable about the talents. Now, a couple of things. Number one, talent. We're talking about money. This is literally Jesus talking about a talent as a unit of measurement. And, and, and as we were talking this morning, as you <laughs> reminded me in our conversation, it's really, I mean, he's using the money as an example. Right. This is not a teaching on handling finances. finances. This is the example that Jesus was using right. here. And so he's using this example on money. Uh, and, and again, there's a couple of things about a parable that we need to kind of get out of the way before we go any further. First, we've already talked about a parable was very specific. There was a very specific point that was being taught. Um, secondly, this is a made-up story. Jesus, now, the actual event, Jesus telling the story to, his, to the individuals that were, he, the people that he was teaching, that actually happened. That was a historical event. But the story, the parable, was made up. Um, and often, Jesus would use these wide extremes when he was giving a parable to really drive home a point. Um, an example would be the parable about the 100 sheep and 99 or the, the, the uh, shepherd knows where 99 of the sheep are and one is lost and he goes and he goes all over creation looking for this one sheep. That's not realistic because if you've got 99, you count your losses and you move on. But Jesus always would teach in these extremes to drive home a very, very, that, that specific point that he was teaching about, he would drive it home by using extremes. And then finally, um, we're going to see at the end of this parable something very interesting. And again, we're looking at it from God's perspective. Something very interesting is Jesus, God, never fixes the unfairness or the unevenness of life. He's going to show how to leverage the unevenness and the unfairness and how to use it for not only your benefit, for my benefit, but for his benefit as well. And I, I just want to pause and, and just reiterate that. I, I, that's powerful. Jesus didn't, didn't try to make up for the unevenness. He, we want it to be even. Jesus is saying unevenness is really part of the plan right, that's here. Part of, that's part of how God set huge, this thing up. Huge. So we're going to jump into the Bible, Matthew chapter uh, 25. We're going to be reading, uh, starting in verse 14. It's going to be on the screen. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. So again, we're getting God's perspective. This is how God set it up. Uh, it can be, and a good example is a man going on a long trip. He calls together his servants and entrusts his money to them while he is gone. Now, 
the master has brought his servants together. We don't know who the servants are. It could have been the gardener, the chauffeur. It could have been you know, anybody. The, the camel driver. The camel driver, whatever the case may be. Um, but he brings them together, and the Bible says that he entrusts, um, he entrusts his money, all of his money to them. So again, we have this extreme. All of the money, everything that the man has is giving to this, these three servants. He gives everything that he has. And the Bible uses the word entrusts. Not just give them the money. I'm entrusting you with this money. I'm giving you this money not to do as you want to do with it necessarily. I want you to do what you think I would do with it. I want you to treat it as if you were me. That's a big word. That's a very powerful word, entrust. Um, and in verse 15, the Bible says that he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Now, um, the Bible uses the word talent. Um, I know in, in a lot of versions, you, you've seen the word talent. Well, the word talent is just an amount or a measurement of money. It can be a measurement of gold. It can be a measurement of silver. In this instance, we're talking about silver. And a talent, if we were to put it in today's term, a talent, it was about 20 years of the average laborer's wages. Um, that was one talent. So what an average worker would make over a 20-year period of time, that's a talent. So a talent's a pretty large amount of money. Um, and then we find out that if, according to these, uh, to these three individuals, one received five talents, which is 100 years of the average laborer's uh, wages, which if we were to kind of extrapolate that Ooh. into today's um, amount of money, if we were to put that into today's amount of money, that's about $1.5 million, wow. roughly. $1.5 million, two bags of silver to the other. That's roughly 600000 of today's dollars, and then the one roughly 300000 of uh, today's dollars. So this man, this master, has entrusted these three individuals with $1.5, That's a lot of money. That's a, that's a, that's a real um, responsibility that has been given to these individuals. And then the Bible says that he left on his trip. Now, there's a couple of things that jump out at me. There's a couple of things that kind of go against the fairness that we are so uh, 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 interested in. One is there were eight talents that were handed out to three people. So fair or even maybe be, would be the better word. Even says that each individual should have gotten 2.7 actually 2.666 repeating. I did the math. 2.7 talents a piece. That's fair. That's even. But that's not what the master chose to do. And at the end of the day, it's his money. So I guess he has the right to do that. So just at the very beginning, there's an unevenness as to who got what. And of course, the Bible does tell us that it was divided according to the proportion of their abilities. So there was a rhyme. There was a reason as to why the separate amounts of money were given uh, to these individuals. And the Bible says that the master left on a strip. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver, or about $1.5 million in today's money, began to invest the money and earn five more. He invested it, and he doubled it. Um, he took the responsibility that he was given. He rose to the occasion, and he doubled the master's money. Verse 17, the servant with two bags of silver, or roughly $600,000, also went to work and earned two more. Same thing. He took the challenge that he was given. He took the responsibility that was given to him, and he rose to the occasion, and he doubled the master's money. Verse 18, there's always, there's always one in every story. Verse 18, but the servant who received the one bag of silver, roughly $300,000, not a small amount. Now, not as much as the first guy. Not as much as the second guy, but still, 
a substantial amount of money. I would be perfectly fine. One bag. If somebody were to come up to me and say, you know, took three of us next to one another and said, I'm going to give you five, I'm going to give you two, and I'm going to give you one. Now, in the beginning, I might be a little bit, well, what the heck, you know? <laughs> but I really believe, sitting here right now, that at the end of the day, when I thought about it, I'd be pretty cool with somebody giving me $300,000. And the Bible says that the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, even in that day and time, there were places that you could take money. You didn't have to dig a hole. And so the idea of taking, I mean, you put that into today's context. Take $300,000, dig a hole, take a jar, stick the money in a jar, put the jar in a hole, cover the hole, and walk away. First call me. Let me know where, <laughs> where the money is. is. Give a couple days. That's literally what happened. That's what Jesus said. This guy just buried $300,000. He just walked away from it. Verse 19, after a long time, now we don't know how long, we just know that Jesus says a long time, could have been 10 years, could have been 30 years, we don't know, could, we don't know how long. Given the nature of exaggeration. Probably was a very long time. Long, long time. Long, long ago. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and I like this, and called them to give an account. In other words, he got back from the trip, he got his three guys together, the three people that he entrusted all of this money to, and he says, okay. I want to know how you did. I want to know what you did with what I've given you. I, and I personally like how the context of ownership never changed. No, it's still his it says, money. What did you do with, with my, money. my money? Right. It's still his. He had just entrusted it to the servants. Verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver, the $1.5 million, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master, obviously, was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount. I would love for $1.5 million to be a small amount in my world. Um, so now I will give you more, many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I've given you something. I've given you this opportunity. I've given you this gift. I've given you this great responsibility. You have more than exceeded my expectations. And as a result of that, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more responsibility because I know you're someone who will take an opportunity and run with it. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward, said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servants. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Once again, that'd be awesome if 600000 was small. But you know, you've you got to think that the guy that had received the $1.5 million is sitting over there going, Now, wait a second. If that's a small amount, what was mine? Yeah, you called mine a small that's amount. That's not fair. That's not even. That's not even. So you, you've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And once again, you've got to think that maybe this guy over here, the guy that had, had doubled the money and, and, and had earned his master another $1.5 million, is probably sitting over there going, wait a second. That's not fair. But... I did a lot more than I did a lot more than this guy did. <laughs> and he gets the same reward that I get. Not even, not fair. And then the servant with the one bag of silver came. Now, if um, I, I feel like when Jesus is telling this story, I feel like the people that were sitting around listening to Jesus teach probably at this point started, you know, kind of snickering a little bit, putting the elbow in because they know Jesus is about to drop the hammer. He's about to drop the hammer. If we were watching, uh, if they were, if Hollywood were to take this story and were put it into a into a movie, and we were watching this movie on the screen here, at this moment during the movie, a few things would happen. The first one, 
probably the lights would darken a little bit on screen. The music would get just a little bit more ominous. You know, there'd probably be a roll of thunder in the background. Uh, you know, the uh, you, you know the uh, in the westerns, you know, where you got the rattlesnake sound. You know, they make the that'd probably be in the right. You know, you get this moment of ominous. It's a Jesus is about to drop the hammer, and the man that had been given one uh, one bag of silver, and you, and you know he's a whiny, just a little wimp. You know he is. He's got to be. He says, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. You're tough. You're a shrewd businessman. I knew that you were a harsh man harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. I knew, Master, that you were an aggressive, bad-to-the-bone, money-managing businessman who did not take no for an answer. You're an intimidating guy. I knew that about you. And because of that, the Bible says in verse 25 that the servant says, I was afraid that I would lose your money. Master, the last thing that I wanted to do was take the chance of losing $300,000. That was your money. I mean, I don't know why you gave it to me, but I didn't want to lose it. So I felt like, the Bible says, he says that I hid it in the earth. Look here, here's your money back. So the, master, the, the, the servant's basically saying, boss, listen. Put it in today. Yeah, boss, listen to me. You're a, you're a mean guy. I mean, let's be honest. You know that. I know that. You're a mean guy. You're scary. You make me kind of afraid, and I didn't want to lose your money. And, and so because I knew you were a tough dude, and I knew that you would probably crush me if I lost your money, I just decided the best thing for all of us to do, for all those involved, is just bury the money. And now, here it is. There's your $300,000 back. No harm, no foul. Verse 26, but the master replied, you wicked, which wicked literally translates worthless. You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, verse 27, why didn't you deposit the money in a bank? At least I could have gotten some interest off of it. You see, the servant here is trying to literally blame the master for his ineptitude, for his laziness, for his worthlessness, for his inability to manage what God, the master, although they are interchangeable, what the master has given him. He's trying to blame the master. But the master's not listening. He says, no. The reason that you did what you did is because you're lazy, you're worthless, you didn't accept the responsibility. I gave you a huge opportunity. I mean, literally, I gave you $300,000 to do what you wanted to with it, to do something with it, my money, and you wasted that opportunity. Verse 28, Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags. That doesn't seem very fair. You know, you would have thought that he would have given it to the guy that only had two. That would have made it a little bit more even in my mind. But again, Jesus telling the story. Verse 29, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. The master here is saying, Listen, if you've been given a great responsibility... And you use it well, you'll get even more. But for those that have been given, even if it's a little bit, even if it's the smallest of the three, those that do nothing with what they've been given, no matter how little it might be, it'll be taken away. Verse 30, and this is the one that as you're going to talk about. This is the one that typically of the 16 verses that we've read, this is the one that gets the most play often, unfortunately. The Bible says, now... And it's because it's not understood. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is where the preachers get off track. And they take that verse. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it scared me. <laughs> At first I thought it was a phone call. I was like, my phone? <laughs> this is where the preachers get off track. Just like, I, I know. <laughs> One of them called me. Oh. They listen to they, here, here's why they, they, they pull out their hanky. They wipe their head. And beloved, if you don't to do this, and you don't to do that, and a little bit of more of this over here, if you don't do it, you're going to be drawn up and cast into everlasting hell, fire, damnation. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me hear you say amen. Or, oh me. <clears throat> but they get it wrong, because that's not what this is about. That's not the point of this parable. And Cole reminded us at the beginning that the parable was there to teach one thing. So many people latch onto that and they say, oh no, if you don't do it right, you're going to get thrown into hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But when the New Testament talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, here's what it's talking about. It's talking about a state of frustration. A state of aggravation. Here's, here's what is going on here. The whole point of this, that someone who says that, that they're missing, is that this sign of frustration, this is what happens. The man was on the inner circle with the master. The man, even the one with one bag, one bag, one talent. That man was still on the inner circle, the inner relationship, the inner friendship with the master, and he wasted it. He blew the opportunity, and then he blamed the master for his own laziness. This guy was on the inside. He was an inside guy. And the master's saying, I want you to take this guy to the people around him. Take this guy, this guy who I had on the inside with me, I want you to take him and take him from this inner circle and place him on this outer circle. Number four guy, you're up. <laughs> place him out here where, where there's frustration and weeping, gnashing of teeth. Let, let me describe to you what that place is because we have a hard time transitioning there. He's not saying throw this guy in hell. He's saying... Place this guy out here with all these other frustrated and somewhat angry people. Here's what that looks like. You, you've been in that place of frustration before. The Razorbacks are on the goal line, mm. and they fumble. Mm. Alabama. And you clench your teeth, and you growl, Ah! It's that place of frustration. If that's all I do, that's good. <laughs> that would be great. So that, but that's what it means. That's what he's talking about. You're going to move from this inner circle of contentment to this outer circle of frustration, grinding, gritting your teeth. He's a guy who had an amazing opportunity, and he just simply blew it. And then he blames his boss for messing it up. 
And then he's thrown out of the inner circle into the outer circle, and he's just, ah! And then at that point, Jesus moves on to the next parable. That's where he ends it, right there. Parable over. Story told. But that's not fair. But it's not fair. We say, but it's not even. And Jesus is not even addressing, he's not even worried about the unevenness in the story. So what's the point of the parable? What's the point of this story? What, what's, what's the point? Well, here, here's the point. Everyone, all of us, everyone gets an uneven amount of opportunity in your life and in all of our lives. Every one of us gets an uneven amount of opportunity and everybody is held accountable for what they do with it. That's the point. Every one of us. We have the responsibility to somehow, someday, give an account with what we have done, with what we have been given, uneven amounts of opportunity. And this uneven amount, this different amount of opportunity for different people with different abilities, this uneven amount of opportunity, it's not even ours. The ownership never changes. It's still God's. Every opportunity, every ability, everything he places in your life, it's not yours. It's still his. It's on loan to us. And he asks us to figure out how do we maximize the use of what he has placed in our lives? How do we leverage our opportunities in order to create more? Because that's what the master, that's what God has asked us to do. That's what he wants. Some people in, in your life, they're five bag people, five bags of opportunity. Some people, one bag opportunity people. We have folks in the middle, two-baggers. Five-bag people, two-bag people, sometimes they feel like they have a little extra opportunity. And that may, sometimes that's opportunity, sometimes that's finances, doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is that there's extra of, we begin to think of it as our own. We change ownerships. God has given it to us but it's still his. He's given it to us to manage. But when we think of it, of, of it as our own, we began to mismanage it, and we began to be irresponsible if there is extra. And then one-bag people, we're not off the hook either. One-bag people, they, we have a tendency to look around in life and look at people with two bags and five bags, and we have a tendency to say, well, they... They haven't had it as hard as I've had it. They've had it easy. They were born into the right family. They had the, all the right opportunities come their way. And you might say, I had to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I had to work my way through school. I, I, I didn't have it easy like they had it. I had to struggle from one thing to the next. They owe it to me to help me. They need to carry some of my load. They have it easier than I've ever had it. We have this tendency to look at the other guy. No matter how many bags we have, we still have a tendency to look at the other guy. And if we have less, then we use it often as an excuse for our own irresponsibility. That we don't have to use ours correctly because they had it easier. So, you know, 
I need to have some fun. I've got to do something. You know, it's just irresponsible. But the point of the parable is this. You are to look at your own bag and decide, here's what I have been given and how do I leverage this to its fullest? And if I have less than someone else, I have to refuse, refuse to use that as an excuse to be irresponsible. And if I happen to have more bags than the next guy, then I have to refuse to be irresponsible and waste what I have. We hear about five-bag people. You know, you, you read about, about them maybe in the news. You hear about them in the news. We often want to be that five-bag person, right? But you know what the favorite stories are? The favorite stories we hear are not stories of the five-bag people. The favorite stories we hear are the guys who are the underdogs, the one-bag guys who decide to take what they have been given and not to take it for granted and not to use it as an excuse to say, I've had it hard, I've had it tough, they haven't had to deal with what I've had and then be irresponsible? No. It's the person who at some point in their life, they stop making excuses, they stop comparing themselves to someone else, they stop blaming other people for their problems in life and for their own irresponsibility, and instead they choose to leverage what they've been given and they go on, one-bag people, to do amazing things in life. Here's one of those stories. Watch this video. So here we have a guy that was a one-bag guy. I mean, he got a raw deal just working and lost both legs. And at first he chose to look at the opportunity and ask, why did God do this to me? And as he began to, to abuse prescription drugs, as he began to just spiral into depression, finally, finally he woke up and he was saying, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say, why did God do this to me? And instead, look at my life as it is right now. Not what I hoped it would be, but what it is right now. And ask this, maybe God wants me to ask, what does God want to do through me? And his life began to change as he took that one bag life and began to maximize it for benefit. Began to leverage it so it became something much more than he ever could have done on his own. He takes the one bag and he multiplies it many times over. He took the opportunity. Now he works with, uh, he works with, with veterans who are amputees, helping them adjust to a new life and exceed and excel. What are we going to do with the opportunity that God has placed in our lives? And if we have extra, can we just remember that that is not ours, no matter what it is, if it's ability, if it's talent, if it's finances, whatever God has done as we look, if it's extra, we say, God, this is yours. I want to manage it for you. I want to leverage it and create more. 
And if we have less, we say, God, this is what you have placed in my life. And we keep focused on what he has placed in our lives and not comparing ourselves to the people around us and just focusing what he has placed in our lives and saying, how can I leverage this, this opportunity? I'm not responsible or accountable for theirs. I'm accountable and responsible for the opportunity you've placed in my life, God. And how can I leverage it to create more in this life? Those are the stories we like to read about. And that is the type of story that you and I, that we can live. So the challenge is this. We have to determine what is the opportunity that God has placed in our lives and realize that it is not ours. Okay, so we see, where am I in life? So maybe you find yourself in Arkansas and you have a job. Maybe it's not a great job. Maybe it's just a job. You're in Arkansas and you have a job. Okay, God, how can we leverage this life? How can we leverage these opportunities and create more? That's what we're responsible for. Maybe your life is not what you had imagined it would be at this stage of your life. Okay. Okay, it's not. But where are you in life? Okay, so you're here. You have a job. God, how can we leverage this life that I have right now? What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? The most impressive verse in this passage is verse 19. We're not going to go there on the screen, but just let me describe it for you. It's where it said, And after a long time the master returned, and he settled accounts with them. Because we believe as Christ followers that one day, Jesus is who he says that he is and will do what he says he will do. And we believe that one day there's this wonderful time ahead of us where we get to give an account for what we have done with the opportunities that God has loaned us in this life. And that can be an amazing, awesome thing or it can be a tragic time where we look and make excuses for why we have done what we have done. Or we get to see how we have leveraged what God has placed in our lives and we did it for someone else's benefit. This life is too, too small for us to take this opportunity that God places in our lives and for us to play, take that opportunity and use it for our own benefit, our own lives, our own existence. God did not place us here to live our lives for our own benefit. He placed us here to leverage the opportunities that he has given us for the benefit of those around us. 
And we all have uneven amounts of opportunity. We have uneven amounts of time in our life. We have uneven amounts of opportunity. We have uneven amounts of abilities. We have uneven amounts of money. We have uneven responsibility. I mean, uh, uneven uh, things that God has given us in this life. But we have the responsibility to say, how can I leverage this? How can I multiply it? How can I grow it? And am I taking responsibility for the opportunities you have given me, God? Am I taking responsibility of those for real? We have to say, I'm not going to make excuses. We have to say, I'm not going to take for granted what you have done in my life and use it for me, just me, all me. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to compare myself to others. Our bottom line says this, to whom something is given, something is required. To whom something is given, something is required, no matter how great of opportunities you have been given in your life or no matter how small they may be, to whom something is given, something is required. Oh, I pray that we get this. I pray that we will get busy taking responsibility and doing something bigger than just living our lives for ourselves. I pray that we will take inventory and say, God, here is the opportunity. Here are the opportunities you have placed in my life right now. How can we leverage these to see many, many, many more people connected with you eternally. This life is far too small for us to take all of our opportunity, all of our giftings, all of our abilities, everything he's provided, and live it for ourselves. May we leverage what he has given us, one bag, two bag, five bags, it doesn't matter. May we do with this life what the Master would do with this life. This week, I pray that you will be ha- have that on your heart and on your mind. What are the opportunities? What are we doing with them? Let's pray. God, sometimes we feel so overlooked when we look at the lives around us and we don't compare. And God, sometimes we use that to make excuses for why we do what we do and why we are irresponsible and why we just make excuses. We just, we just can't stop comparing. God, we need your help so that we can quit comparing and accept what you have given us. And God, we need your help to, to have this creative, this, this leverage somehow to make something bigger than ourselves. God, will you please show us what to do with what we have heard today? And God, will you give us the courage to do it? And God, as we look at our lives, may we say that we have been changed 
we have been redeemed. And we are still here because you have something you want us to do. May we leverage what you have given us to help other people around us meet you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.